Welcome to the Master of None podcast, adventures in a hands-on life. Build, grow, cook, train, explore. So we are going to try a little different format. I don't have to call it format, whatever. We'll call it a format, a little different format on this episode of the podcast. Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to give you a scenario right now that has a problem built into it. And then by the end of the episode, you'll be equipped with all of the tools you need to solve that problem. So let me lay out a scenario. It looks something like this, and I'm sure most of us have been in this type of situation. You have some friends, you have a group of friends, and you regularly get together to do something. Maybe it's like a poker night, or pool tournament, or euchre, if you want to talk about card games that are awesome and actually worth playing. But some of those things require a certain number of people, often like four people. So here's what ends up happening. Maybe, you know, if you have like two couples, great, that works out fine. But maybe you have a group of four friends and they're not couples and they're dating other people and you want to do pool night and you always meet up at the pool hall or maybe somebody has a pool table in their house where you can play and you do that every other Wednesday or something like that. Now, the trouble with dating is that it really interferes with all of the fun that you're going to have with your other friends. Here's what happens. So we get together, four of us, every other Wednesday, like we said, and we shoot pool in the basement. Well, we play two-team eight ball, right? So two teams of two, and maybe we, I don't know, flip a coin to see who's on whose team, or maybe we have some other system for picking partners, but we have this this game that we play, and it requires four people. Well, one of us decides to go and start dating somebody. Now, one of two things is going to happen. Their significant other is going to either make them feel like they can't come to pool night, or they're going to want to come along. Now, either of those situations is a problem because we're going from having four people to now having an odd number, either three or five, which is just not going to work for playing two-team eight ball. So you can see why this is a problem. Now, let's say that our friend who started dating someone, let's say her name is Sarah. So Sarah is no longer showing up because she's all excited to be dating somebody. So she's ignoring her real friends, right? And so we have to figure out a way to play pool with three people. Well, that's one of those problems that we are going to address on this episode. By the end, you will be equipped to deal with Sarah being gone. Now, here's the other thing that's going to happen, though, is after a few months of Sarah ignoring us, she's going to break up, and then she's going to be so sad and mopey that she doesn't want to come to pool night. So that's like another month of her not showing up. And in the meantime, her pool cue has been sitting there and, oh no, it has developed a little bit of a curve in it, so it's no longer perfectly straight. So when she finally comes around and starts coming back to pool night, well, we're going to have to figure out a way to repair her cue. So that's another thing that we're going to do on this episode. That's actually the project, is doing some some pool cue 
repairs and improvements. But in addition to that, we get to talk about some of the history of pool and or billiards. And we'll actually cover like what the difference is between billiards and pool. We're going to talk about some different basic games that you need to learn in addition to eight ball, which is what most people in the United States know how to play. Well, if they know how to play a pool game, it's usually eight ball. And we're not going to bore you with all of the details of the rules of each game, but we're going to cover eight ball, nine ball, 10 ball, straight pool, cutthroat. Yeah, I think those are the basics. So that's like five games that you should learn and, and know how to play each of those five games. I'm also going to give you some basic pointers that if you're like a low to mid-level pool player, you might be able to use to improve your pool game a little bit. Now, disclaimer here, I am not an expert at pool by any means. In fact, I would consider myself well below average, kind of just like everything else in my life, below average. My strength is that I'm below average at a lot of different things. Anyway, if you're already playing on the professional like pool tournament circuit, you probably don't need any of my advice. But if you're one of the many people who I talk to who, if you ask if they want to play pool, their response is, oh, I love pool, but I'm terrible because I haven't played since college or whenever, or, or just, oh, I love it, but I'm terrible. Like, warning me that they're terrible. Anyway, that's what a lot of people say. So if you're one of those people, I'm going to give you some pointers that should help you really step up your pool game. And honestly, it's a lot more fun when you're just a little bit better at it. You can, you can make those shots. You can think through some strategy and yeah, it's not that hard. So some, some practice pointers, some form pointers, some, yeah, all sorts of stuff. So we will get into that, but before we get into that, this episode of the podcast is brought to you by Mike Kirby Custom Cues. Mike Kirby specializes in high-performance custom pool cues. With his attention to detail and weight-forward design, Mike's custom cues will play noticeably better than a standard off-the-shelf cue, even for an average pool player. But a Mike Kirby cue isn't just a tool, it's a work of art. Your custom cue will include your choice of materials for each part of the cue, possibly including exotic hardwoods. Additional inlays of other woods, mother of pearl, buffalo horn, camel bone, and other materials are also available. You can see some of these cues and get some ideas for your own custom cue at MikeKirbyCustomCues.net. When you're ready to order a custom cue, tell Mike that you heard about his cues on the Master of None podcast. So one of the most common questions that everybody asks when pool comes up is, what is the difference, if any, between billiards and pool? So let's go ahead and get that out of the way. And we're going to talk about some other terminology also. So oftentimes the word billiards is used to refer to basically any game played on a table with balls and cues or the cue is the stick. Now, even though the term billiards, like I said, is often used to refer as like a general term to a whole lot of different games, traditional billiards is actually played on a larger table. It's actually a, a 10 foot by five foot table uh, with no pockets. So if you 
if you hear a game called Pocket Billiards, that's where the actual pockets are added to the corners and sides of that table. Now, once once Pocket Billiards was kind of exported, because all of this developed in Europe, once that was kind of exported to the Americas, that's where the term pool started being used for this specific type of Pocket Billiards. Now, let's go back to traditional billiards. It's actually played with only three balls. So you have a white ball, a white cue ball, a yellow ball, and a red ball. And like I said, no pockets. And I don't know all of the rules. I know that there are a lot of rules for this game. But basically what you're trying to do is score points by taking a shot with that white cue ball, hitting the other two balls in any order, and I believe three of the rails. So yeah, it's a little different than... um than our pocket billiards or pool that a lot of us are familiar with. Now, like I said, pool is a form of pocket billiards, and it can be played on a whole variety of sizes of tables. And one, actually one important thing to point out, is that all of these tables for all of these games are always twice the length as their width. So, for example, the billiards is played by is played on a 10 foot by 5 foot table. Pool tables, I believe a tournament pool table is 4.5 by 9. The standard home pool table, what's called a full size home pool table, is 4 by 8. The standard bar size pool table is actually even a little smaller, it's 3.5 by 7. And there are even like mini pool tables that are like 2 by 4 or 3 by 6. So some of those uh, smaller sizes too. Now also both Billiards and pool are played with balls that are two and a half inches in diameter. And there are all sorts of specs on like the tolerances on, on the sizes of the balls and, and the tables and the rails. And we'll get into some of the anatomy of the pool table itself later. At least the important things to understand. So there's also another game that's played on a much larger table. It's actually played on a 12 foot by six foot table that when most people see it, they refer to it as either billiards or pool, but the game is in fact called snooker. And it's it's actually a really interesting game. It's played on this huge table, and the balls are actually considerably smaller. I don't know off the top of my head the diameter of the balls. And the pockets are actually considerably smaller also. But it has four corner pockets and two side pockets, just like a pool table. <clears throat> But uh, these smaller balls, and it actually has 15 red balls, six other colored balls, and a white cue ball. And the players actually, players take turns. It's similar to pool in that players take turns trying to knock the balls into the pockets. But there are some really unique things about it. So you're playing for the highest score in this game. And each of the red balls is worth one point. Each of the other colored balls is worth two, three, four, five, six, or seven points, and you must alternate between red balls and the other colors. Now, as you play, you leave the red balls in the pockets when they get knocked in, but the other colors actually get replaced onto the table, and then the game ends when all of the red balls are pocketed, and you add up the score from all of the balls that have been knocked in by each player. So now you know when you see either you're traveling somewhere and you see that game or you're watching a movie and you see that game 
you know that you're actually looking at snooker, not pool or billiards. Now, in this episode, we're specifically going to be talking about pool. And let's just go ahead and eliminate the different size tables. What I have is a full-size home pool table. So my table is four feet by eight feet. So I'm just going to use my four foot by eight foot table as a reference when I'm talking about all of these different games and techniques and all of that. So just keep that in mind, but you may encounter tables that are either a little larger if it's a tournament table or a little smaller if it's like a compact bar table or, or one of the other varieties. So I think now might be a good time to talk about some of the history of pool because I want to talk about some of that and then we're going to talk about some of the terminology of all of these different pieces and parts of the table and the balls and the cues and all of that. And um, yeah, so let's talk about the history first. Now, we really don't know a lot about the specifics of the early history of pool or billiards. What we do know is that a very long time ago, European nobility had all sorts of lawn games that they would play. Uh, so think think about stuff like croquet, or if they were a little more athletic, maybe something like polo, which is kind of like croquet with horses. Anyway, never mind the horses, because we're not going to bring the horses indoors. So, lawn games. Think croquet, um, what else? Bocce, uh cornhole. We have all sorts of lawn games that we play even even today. So when the weather isn't so great, though, you don't usually get out and play your lawn games unless you're Scottish and then you invent curling, which is kind of a lawn game for the winter. But the rest of European nobility didn't want to be outside when the weather was cold. So what do they do? Well, they adapt their lawn games to an indoor environment. Fun fact... This is actually why the traditional color for pool table felt is green. It's like the grass that you would play a lawn game on. Now, the the original games, we believe, were still played with mallets of some sort. I mentioned croquet. So you play croquet with a mallet out on the lawn, or you bring it indoors and you're playing on a large felted green table, and you're still using mallets but maybe like a smaller version of a mallet. Now, I should mention too, it took a long time. And we're talking when when these lawn games were first brought into an indoor playing environment. We're talking about like in the like 11 or 1200s, like a really long time ago. We're talking like Battle of Hastings or shortly after kind of time period. So a very long time ago. So we don't really have a good written record of the exact like specifications of their table or the rules or anything like that. Now, what we do know though, is that there were a whole lot of variations of these games. Some of these games even involved like wooden blocks that you might like build castles and fortifications out of, and then try to knock those over with the balls that you're playing on this surface. Like that actually sounds like a lot of fun, but anyway, those games developed and became more consolidated with more recognized official rules. And 
like I said, these these games were typically played with mallets, where you would like kind of swing the mallet to strike the ball, kind of croquet style. Now the thing that happened was that when the when the cue ball or whatever ball you're trying to strike is sitting sitting against the rail or the side of the table, all of a sudden it becomes very difficult to hit it with a mallet. Now, what what would happen then is the players would take their their mallet and turn it around and strike it with the tail of the mallet. Think think pool style with the tail kind of kind of striking it like a pool cue. This is actually where we get the word cue because it it actually comes from because pool cue is spelled C U E. Now that actually comes from the word cue Q U E U E which means tail as in like a line, like forming a line, forming a cue to get in line, or queuing up something, forming the tail of what's going to come next. So the etymology all kind of ties together. And so the tail of this mallet, also called the cue, people eventually realized that that was just, in general, a better way to play, and that became the accepted way to play, was just with the cue, and the mallet kind of went away. Now, At this point, we're going to go ahead and skip several hundred years of history, and we're going to jump right into American pool. And speaking of the American-ness of pool, it brings to mind two movies that, you, you know how sometimes a movie comes out and then all of a sudden something is like really popular? Like you remember back in, oh, I don't know, the early 2000s when there were a couple movies about poker and then all of a sudden like everybody was playing poker and everybody was like watching poker and playing online poker anyway the same thing kind of happened with pool i want to say back in the 50s 50s or 60s i was not around i'm not that old um there was a movie with paul newman called the hustler or hustler i think wow i should have done more research before i started recording this episode i think it's called the hustler and it's about pool and um yeah all of a sudden pool kind of had this huge resurgence in popularity and at that point um champion pool players emerged there were books written about pool and there was just like a huge resurgence resurgence of the game of pool at that time. Um, later on in the, I don't know, 80s maybe? Is that when that came out? Uh, another movie called The Color of Money. Uh, again with Paul Newman. Actually, I believe, now that I'm thinking about it, I think he plays the same character that he played in The Hustler in The Color of Money, but he's older, and uh, Tom Cruise is in that movie, too. Is I haven't seen that in a long time. I should watch that movie. I'm telling you about a movie that I haven't watched in like forever. Anyway, um, when that movie came out, The Color of Money, there was another huge resurgence in the popularity of Pool. 
And there was another movie. What was that called? Pool Hall Junkies. I think that's what it was called later on. And there was like a small resurgence of pool then. Anyway, it just kind of shows you how um, movies kind of follow what's going along in popular culture. And popular culture kind of follows what's going along in popular movies. I digress. Let's talk about pool tables. So, the anatomy of a pool table. A pool table is a rectangular table that is twice as long as it is wide. I've already mentioned that. So, for example, the full-size home pool table is 4 by 8 feet. The regulation tournament table is 4.5 by 9 feet. The snooker table, for that matter, is 12 by 6 feet. Billiard table is 10 by 5 feet. The bar table is 7 by 3.5 feet. They're all twice as long as they are wide. But, like I said, we're going to limit our discussion to the home pool table, the full-size home pool table. We're just going to talk about a table as though all of them are 4 by 8. So, anatomy of the pool table. The pool table has, let's start with the playing surface. That is that 4 foot by 8 foot, that 32 square foot surface where play of the game happens. And that is covered with felt. Now, when it comes to felt, there are a whole lot of different levels of felt, qualities of felt. And when when I had my pool table refelted, um, I learned a little bit about this. There are kind of two different variables that you need to choose from when you're having a pool table felted or when you're selecting the quality of felt that you're going to put on a pool table. Those two variables are the durability of the felt and the speed of the felt. Now, as a well below average pool player, my first thought is, well, I'm not going to be able to tell the difference between faster felt and slower felt. Let me tell you, anecdotally, boy, was I wrong. Even as an amateur pool player, I can really tell the difference in the faster felt it it plays better, and we'll talk some about that later when it comes to strategy and form and how the balls spin and slide on the felt. Anyway, uh, those are kind of the two the two variables. Now, that felt is covering the slate, generally, slate surface of the actual table. Now, this is a, a thick piece of slate, and actually mine is three pieces of slate, and I think each one of them weighs probably, I don't know, 200 pounds. So you're talking about an extremely heavy table when it's all put together. So that creates this very flat level, theoretically, if someone has assembled and tuned it properly, you should have a nice flat level playing surface. So you have the slate covered with the felt. Now, as I mentioned, this playing surface is in a rectangular shape and there have been pool tables in the past that have been all sorts of shapes not necessarily rectangular maybe hexagons octagons ovals other kind of weird not quite oval shapes that are kind of pointy at the ends circles like over the years over the centuries there have been all sorts of 
different shapes of pool tables, but the standard is this rectangle. Now the two short ends of the rectangle are called the head and the foot. Now, if you're just a little bit familiar with pool, the foot is the end where you rack the balls. The head is the end where you break from, where you, when you, when you're starting a game, it's called the break and you shoot the cue at the racked balls. The head is the end that you break from. The long sides are simply called the sides, left side, right side. So if you're, if you're actually standing at the head of the table, the side to your left is the left side. The side to your right is the right side. Pockets. Next, we have six pockets. Four corner pockets. Two on the foot. Two on the foot end. Two on the head end. And the other two on the sides, midway between the head and the foot at that exact four foot mark. Now, I know we already talked about the head, the foot, and the sides, but two more terms that you are going to hear are rails and cushions. Now, these disclaimer for the rest of this episode, we may use the terms rails and cushions somewhat interchangeably. Rail has, they're basically the, the two sides and the head and the foot, the perimeter of that rectangle. Now, if you want to really distinguish between rails and cushions, rails has more to do with the geometric position of the sides of that rectangle, and cushions have more to do with the actual mechanical part of the pool table, which is actually a triangular cross-section piece with with the point of the triangle being just slightly higher than the center of the of the balls, which are which would be an inch and a quarter, so it's slightly higher than that, which tends to deflect the balls back down toward the table, keeping the balls from jumping up off of the table. Okay, if we say rails or cushions, we're talking about the perimeter of that four foot by eight foot rectangle. Okay, what else do we need to talk about? Oh, and usually usually those cushions are actually made out of a very hard, dense rubber material. And then they're wrapped in that same felt as the playing surface, uh, so it all matches and it looks nice. Anyway, um, other terminology. Strings. Okay, strings are not actual parts of the pool table, but they are theoretical imaginary parts of the pool table. So we have three strings, four depending on your, depending on who you're talking to. The center string goes across the pool table, the short way, right across the center, that four foot mark between the two side pockets. The head string goes across the pool table the same direction, four feet side to side, halfway between Let's just call it at the two foot mark from the head. If we're going from the head to the foot at two feet is the center string at four feet. I'm sorry. At two feet is the head string at four feet is the center string. And at six feet is the foot string. Now, sometimes you will also hear someone refer to the long string. Now that's going perpendicular to those other, other three strings down the center of the table from the head to the foot. 
And just keep that in mind because it's going to help with these next terms. We have two spots, the head spot and the foot spot. The head spot is basically what, what would be the intersection of that long string with the head string. So it's two feet from the head rail and midway, like centered, centered on the table. The foot spot is centered on the table, two feet from the foot rail. Now, yeah, just, just keep that in mind, I guess. Uh, the last, the last part of the pool table to talk about around the perimeter, you're going to have every foot something called diamonds or sights. And these are just little marks on the pool table. And these are basically used for two things. First of all, they're used to determine the position of the head spot and foot spot and the head string and foot string for the rules of various games that we may play on a pool table. The second thing that they're used for is in slightly more advanced play, you use those for aiming and calculating some of the some of the geometry of more complex shots. So that kind of summarizes the table. Now, in American pool, if you get like a standard pool table, pool set, kit, whatever, it's going to come with several other things. You're going to have a set of balls, which is going to be a total of 16 balls, 15 striped and solid balls, and one cue ball. You're going to have cues. Now, you you can buy a lot of very affordable sets, pool sets, that come with usually four cues so that you can play with four players as long as Sarah shows up to pool night. You can play with four players and everybody has their own cue. Uh, a lot of times that's also going to come with something called a bridge or mechanical bridge, which is this little thing that personally i i have a standard of not using because i think it improves my my pool game to never use the mechanical bridge it you may get a set that comes with a youth cue that's like a foot shorter than the standard cues and what else are you going to have you're going to have a racking triangle um this is a a triangular shaped apparatus that you put the balls in for the process called racking. Now, racking is at the beginning of the game. You know what? We're going to hold off on that until we talk about kind of the process of play of all of these different games. You're also going to have two different chalk blocks. You're going to have one small chalk block that you use for chalking the tip of the cue, and that that actually increases the friction between the between the cue and the cue ball when you strike the cue ball with the with the cue. Now you're going to have another chalk block that's usually a larger chalk block and you can take some of that and put it on your hand and that's actually going to decrease the friction especially if you have sweaty hands. It's going to decrease the friction between your hand and the cue because when you're shooting you shoot with two hands. One hand forms the bridge that the cue rests on top of. And the other hand is your shooting hand that you actually propel the cue forward into the cue ball with. So the hand 
your bridge hand that the cue slides over, you, you don't want to be all sweaty and have the cue like sticking to your skin. So you actually use that chalk to decrease the friction between your cue and your hand. I forgot to mention, we talked about the, the racking triangle. Sometimes you also have a racking diamond. Now, if you don't have the racking diamond, not to worry, you can still rack the balls into a diamond formation even in the triangle. We'll talk about that later when we talk about racking the balls. But in general, the triangle, or I'm, I'm sorry, the diamond is what you're going to use if you're playing a game of nine ball as opposed to eight ball, ten ball, straight pool, some of those other games. Let's take a second and actually go back to the cues. So the cues are the sticks that you use to strike the cue ball, which in turn hits other balls on the playing surface and knocks them into the pockets. And the way that you go about doing that is going to depend on the specific game that you're playing. We're going to get into some of those details later. Let's talk about cues a little bit. Now, one of the most important factors of your cue is how straight it is. Now, how do you determine if your cue is straight? The the method that I actually usually use is just to kind of sight visually down the length of the cue as though it were, I don't know, a shotgun or a two by four that you're going to use for framing. And you'll be able to see if it's straight or not. Now, some people also like to roll a cue on the surface of the pool table. I've seen some information out there that suggests that you should not do this because you wouldn't be certain of the trueness of the surface of the pool table. Now, I've got some news for you. That's total baloney because if you're playing on a pool table that is so uneven that it's like more uneven than the possible, I don't know, not straightness of your pool cue where it's throwing you. If you're more concerned about your pool cue being straight than the table being flat, the straightness of the pool cue does not matter. So yeah, if you want to check the straightness of a cue by just rolling it across the table, in my mind, go ahead. And if you're, if you're kind of gearing up to play a game of pool with some friends at a pool bar, pool hall, or in your basement, whatever, that might be one of the first things that you do is selecting your cue and making sure that it's at least decently straight. Even if you can't find a decently straight pool cue, there are some things you can do to add a little straightness to it. Just straighten it out a little bit. And there are actually some things you can do that'll help you play even with a bent or crooked cue. Even though, honestly, the straighter it is, you would be amazed the difference it makes playing with a nice straight cue versus a, a cue that's bent or curved or crooked. So once we determine that we have a nice straight cue to play with, let's, I guess now would be a good time to actually talk about one of the improvements we can do to a cue. Now, a higher end custom cue can have all sorts of different grips on it. And going back to our Mike Kirby cues, um, they can actually do grips that are Irish linen or 
calfskin or stacked leather or all sorts of cool stuff. If you're doing more of like a bargain off the shelf queue and you just want to do some of your own improvements to it, because looking at a queue, you can, the price of a queue, okay, a pool queue that you can play and win a game with could cost you as little as $10. Or if you want one of the higher end queues, maybe as much as $5,000. So we're talking about something, a tool that's going to cost somewhere between $10 and $5,000. So let's say that we're starting at that $10 range. What can we do to improve those queues? One of the things we can do is to add a grip to it because none of the $10 cues are going to come with an Irish linen wrapped or calfskin wrapped or stacked leather grip. They're just going to have either a straight wood grip or some sort of shrink wrap basically on them. So one of the things that I kind of wanted to look at with this episode is, is it worth your time to do repair to cheap cues, as in straighten them, or replace the tips, or add grips to them. So one thing we're going to do right now is add a rubber grip to an inexpensive, like, base model, like, $10 pool cue. So I have my cue here, and I picked this one out at the store, and it was less than $10. It was like $9.95. Which sounds like not that much, but you know, if you're buying a whole set, four or six cues, all of a sudden you're talking about forty or sixty dollars, and it may be worth it to to do your own maintenance on these cues and keep them nice when you're spending that amount of money. Anyway, we're starting with a cue that was around that ten dollar range, and I did make sure before I bought it that it was one of the straighter ones, so it's Fairly straight, maybe not perfect, but I can deal with it. So, like I said, this one just has a wood grip. Let me actually pull it out here. Okay. Now, for honestly, for a $10 cue, it's really pretty. Um, the, the grip the the back portion of the queue is actually it it looks to me like maple and it has a nice dark stain on it and it's it's something called a four point queue um which which is a woodworking term so it it's hard to describe um anyway just the way that the portions of the queue are jointed together and inlaid it's it's actually pretty nice. Uh, I I could not make this for the value of ten dollars of my time. So, um, like I said, picked one out that's nice and straight. But we're going to improve it. We're going to add a rubber grip to it because right now it's just a slick wood grip, which may not be the best. So stand by. Okay, I'm set the cue right here. And I have my, I have my grip here. We're kind of doing an unboxing on the podcast here. Just pull out the pocket knife, open the packaging. 
I'll put my pocket knife away. And it came with directions too. And it's kind of a textured rubber, I guess it's a tube. It's a very thin rubber tube. All right, I'm going to follow the directions that it came with and install this grip on the pool cue. So step number one says place grip over cue, slide down as much as possible. So I know because I've done these before that when you do this part, if it has a logo on it, you should actually place it in the opposite direction from what you want the logo to end up on the finished product. So I'm going to take this thin rubber tube and I'm going to slide it down over the shaft of the pool cue as far as it will go here. Okay, step two, roll the grip from the bottom up until it is in a small donut shape. So you're going to take your hand and basically grip all the way around the shaft of the pool cue and just roll it up toward the tip, grabbing the, the thin rubber grip, rolling it as you go. And it's going to roll into that round shape. Now, it says take the grip off the cue, flip and place back on the cue, keeping the same donut shape. So keeping the cue in the same orientation, I'm going to roll this thing all the way up to the tip, take it off. Here we go. Roll it back, flip it over, like I said, roll it back down. And it's convenient having it in this donut shape because trying to slide the, the really tight rubber tube all the way over the shaft of the cue would be very difficult. So you can just kind of roll it down once it's in this donut shape. So um, same donut shape, push grip down cue to desired location. So we're actually going to push it all the way back down toward the bottom of the cue. And since the cue is a little thicker down toward the base than it is out toward the tip, it does get a little tighter. I'm go ahead and roll this all the way down as far as we want it, which I'm gonna leave maybe maybe a few inches because I, I never grab the the cue like all the way back at the back. I'm, so I'm gonna go maybe, I don't know, four or five inches from the back before I stop. This is really easy once you get to this point, but it's getting kind of tight. There. Do one more. No, that's probably good. We'll go right there. And then we're gonna unroll it going the other direction. Unroll the grip slowly here. Okay, so now that it's in position here, it's kind of a little ring at the bottom, so we want to get that get that all smoothed out. Then we're gonna unroll it back toward the tip, and it's on there nice and tight. Now we have a nice rubber grip on our cue because the wood the finished wood was kind of slick, so this gives us a nice rubber grip to grip onto. And make sure that this part's completely unrolled all the way down here. So 
if you want if you want to upgrade your queue with a rubber grip, that's all there is to it. So before we move on, a couple of other tips on queues. Literally tips, because we're also going to replace the tip on a queue. But um, the the tip of the queue, the part that actually strikes the queue ball, is actually a, a leather circle that's glued onto the tip of the queue. And sometimes those wear out, sometimes those fall off and need to be replaced. And we have a little kit here to help us replace tips. Before we get to that, though, like like we were talking about, one of the most important aspects of a queue is just that it is as straight as possible. None of that other stuff matters. The weight, the balance, the inlays, all of that does not matter if the queue is not straight. So there are a couple things we can do to make sure that our queues stay straight, and if they're not quite straight, we can fix them to a certain extent. So one thing that you want to do once you have a straight queue, like some some common sense things, like keep it out of temperature and humidity extremes. That's just kind of common sense. If you have a really high-end queue, you can also buy a storage case for it that will help keep it nice and straight. Honestly, though, most of us are dealing with either the cues that they already have at the bar or pool hall or the cues that came with the the bargain set that our friend got or we got for the pool table in our basement. So we're, we're really dealing with those $10 cues most of the time unless we actually have our own cue that we take to the bar or we've ordered a custom cue to have in our house or whatever. Anyway, when we're dealing with those cheap $10, $20 cues, sight down the cue, and if it's not straight, what you can do is identify the part that's like pushing out the most. And what you're going to do is rest the butt of the cue against the ground, grab the tip in your hand, and just push with your other hand, with the, the palm of your other hand, just push gently into the bow of that cue to straighten it out. And you'd be surprised how much how much of a difference this actually makes even during the play of the game. If you have a cue that's not quite straight, while your opponent's shooting, just go ahead and sight down your cue and push on that part that's the most out of alignment. And by the end of the game, your your cue will actually be significantly straighter than it was when you started. So that's one thing you can do. If you have a bunch of cues and you have some time, you can also hang them from the ceiling, from the tips, and just let the weight of the cue tend to straighten itself out. That actually works pretty well if you just have cues that are a little bit out of alignment. Now, if you have one that has a massive curve in it, and I actually have some of these, um, from the, the set that I acquired, Some of them were just way out of alignment. I'm talking like if you sighted down the cue, like it might be a full two inches of curve, which is pretty absurd. That's going to be difficult to even play with. Once they're that bad, you might, if you really want to, you might play around with some heat and steam to to soften it, to be able to straighten it, or 
Honestly, for a $10 queue for one of those cheap queues, it's not worth it. Just go ahead and buy a newer, straighter queue, and then maintain those new queues in that good condition. One other thing on queues, though. If you take a, a pool queue and you pick it up, and if you give it a little slap from the side and it rattles, that is not a good sign. That means that the actual parts of the pool queue that are supposed to be completely tightly adhered to each other are not adhered to each other. That queue is basically beyond salvage if it's rattling. Um, yeah, don't play with a rattly queue. Best case, it's going to throw off your shots. Worst case, who knows, maybe it'll blow up if you hit the cue ball too hard and send shards of splintery pool cue flying across the pool hall and be dangerous. Who knows? All right, let's go ahead and finish up our discussion on the maintenance and repair improvement of pool cues. So if you find yourself needing to replace the tip on a cue, guess what? I bought this little kit, the Tweeter Billiard Home Repair Kit for retipping cues. And judging from the packaging, again, we're going to do a little unboxing here. Judging from the packaging, it looks like they have not changed their packaging since about 1952. So I'm going to go ahead and open this up. And comes in a nice little box. Inside the box, we have a set of directions. That's good. We have, ooh, they give us three chalk blocks for chalking the Q-tip. Yes, these are Q-tips. The tip of a Q is called a Q-tip. Anyway, we have three brand new chalk blocks. That's a nice addition to this. We have Tweeter's 10-minute cement. That's the adhesive that we're going to use to actually attach the new tip to the cue. We have a flat sanding block, and we have a what's called a radius sanding block. We have a little baggie full of new leather tips. And we have these two plastic pieces these are pretty cool. This is what we actually use. Oh, and it comes with um, the spots that we actually could use for marking the spots on the pool table itself. It's unrelated to the cues. Spots on the pool table for racking the balls. I like that head spot and foot spot. Okay, now here here's the really cool part. It has these two little plastic parts that we can use to actually sand the tip of the the ferrule is it called a ferrule? I don't even remember. Um, the part of the cue that the tip actually attaches to, we want that sanded off perfectly flat, smooth, and perpendicular to the to the cue itself. So let me grab the directions and we'll just go through this real quick. Oh, and here's this little rubber band kind of slingshot looking deal to hold the tip onto the cue while the adhesive sets. That's cool. Okay, tweetin'. Oh, I guess it's called tweetin', not tweeter. 
I think I called it Tweeter before. Tweetin. Topper Q Top Sander. If I can get the directions open. There we go. The Tweetin Topper Q Top Sander. Assemble. Oh. Step one. Cut away the worn Q-tip, then scrape off the glue and residue leather from the Q-end with a knife, as in the photo. As a photo, someone with a razor knife and nail polish. Um, caution, do not force or press hard. Best results are obtained with a light touch. Okay. Assemble the V-shaped Q-rust and sander top. So this is this cool little thing that we clamp onto the queue itself and then there's this rotary circle thing that's the sander top we basically lock those together note how the arm on the end of the queue rust should drop into position between the flanges and revolve on the track under the flanges around the lower rim of the sander top yeah basically put the two pieces together so it spins is what that's saying Place the unit over the end of the queue as shown. Grip and hold tightly the queue rest and the queue in the left hand, applying slight pressure and rotating in a semicircular manner. What's the difference between rotating in a circular manner and a semicircular manner? Does that mean we go back and forth instead of just one direction? Not sure. Uh, to sand the queue end and form a flat base for attaching the queue tip. Yeah, that's easy enough. Okay, I've actually already done this. I'm going to be honest with you. I already did this. And reading through the directions the second time. Plastic Q-clamp. Remove the remove war tip with knife. Okay, th this is like two separate sets of directions because we obviously already did that. Um, remove the old glue, sand it flat. Apply a thin coating of Tweetin's 10-minute cement on the flat side of the tip and on the queue. Allow to set for a few moments until tacky. Press press tip firmly onto queue and place... Right, okay, so basically we put this little apparatus on there and it, it has a rubber band that holds that leather tip down tightly onto the queue while the cement sets. That's really all there is to it. Wipe excess glue from the queue with a damp rag. Allow to dry and trim if necessary. Got it. Okay. So we did that to this queue, which when I obtained the set of cues was missing the tip. So now we have another one with once this is set tomorrow morning, we'll have another queue that's nice and straight with a brand new tip and we will try it and see how it plays. All right, and we're back. I actually realized I was recording late last night, and I was getting really sleepy, so it was time to just call it quits for the night, so hopefully I didn't say anything too dumb or talk too slow, because I know I have a tendency to talk slower when I get sleepy. So hopefully I didn't put you to sleep with whatever I was rambling about late last night. So we were working on replacing the tip on a pool cue. So usually you let those sit overnight. And so I checked it this morning and it worked. Yay. 
So let's actually just go try it out. Let's grab the the Q. We're actually gonna we're gonna try both of them. The one that we replaced the grip on, and the one that we replaced the tip on, and see how those work. So I'm gonna grab both of those cues. We're gonna run down to the billiard room and try them out. All right, we're down in the pool room. We're gonna test out these two new cues and see how they do. See how we like the improvements and repairs that we made. So I actually have the table set up now with a solitaire version of pool that you can play. It, it seems overly simple, but you might be surprised how fun it is. And it really helps with your uh, strategy, just thinking about follow-up shots and that sort of thing. The way you do this, uh, this particular game, you just rack three balls into a triangle down on the foot spot like you normally would, but only three balls. And then you break with the cue from behind the head string, just like we normally would for eight ball or most of our other games. And the goal is to see how few strokes you can take to pocket all three balls. So we're just going to use that game to test out these cues and see how it goes. So here we go. By the way, we're testing the one with the, uh, the new grip first. So let's see how I like this new grip. Okay, that new grip is actually really nice. I like that. Um, just really nice control over that cue on the forward stroke. So I'm going to go ahead and uh, play this game out, and I'll meet up with you in a minute or two. Okay, let's play another round of that same, that same exercise with three balls and seeing how few strokes we can take to pocket all three balls. And this time we're going to use the cue with the new tip. I want to test out this new tip and see how it plays. Okay, I really like that new tip. This is actually better than the, the tips on any of the other cues that we have. I think what I may do with this in mind is, and this one's actually way better than the one that we put the new grip on. So I'm definitely gonna replace the tip on the one that has the new grip. And that cue should be uh, actually a really nice playing cue because it's nice and straight, has that grip for the added control. And, and then with the new tip, I just, I really like the, the way that that tip gripped the cue ball on that forward stroke. I could really just feel that it was gripping the cue ball well, which is exactly what you want, especially once you learn to put spin on the ball, on the cue ball, to get it to do some different things. So um, I'm gonna go ahead and play this game out and I will meet up with you when I'm done. All right, I think we're actually already over an hour for this episode and we haven't even gotten into basic pool rules or some of the game variations that you could play. So we're going to go ahead and wrap it up here for now. And the second half of this discussion will cover that other stuff that I just mentioned. Some games that you need to learn, some pointers on your form, improving your game, and basic rules. So that's about all we have uh, for this week. Maybe this has inspired you to pick up pool again. Maybe you have a, a friend who has a pool table in their basement. You can bum some pool table time off of them and brush up on your pool shooting skills. Or maybe you have a pool hall 
near you that you can shoot a few games on. Anyway, uh, like I said, that's all we have for this week. We did solve Sarah's problem of her queue being messed up, though, from letting it sit around too long and getting a little warp in it. We talked about how to straighten the queue, how to repair the tip, and how to upgrade the grip with one of those simple rubber grips. So as a reminder, uh, if you're interested in a custom queue, you can always check out Mike Kirby Custom Cues. That's MikeKirbyCustomCues.net. You can also send him an email, uh, Mike at MikeKirbyCustomCues.net. There's also just a contact button on the website. Check out his products. Uh, They're pretty amazing works of art, like I said. So that's all I have for this week. I will see you next week. Until then, pursue your mastercraft. Bye. Theme music for the Master of None podcast is Club Seamus by Kevin McLeod. Incompetech.com. Licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0. Creativecommons.org. If you need some of your own original music, go check out Kevin's other work at his website, Incompetech.com. Incompetech.com.